What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I'm your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously, both in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. Welcome to the show. I got a great question today, and it was what advice would I give to somebody who is looking to buy their family home from their parents? And the object of the whole exercise is to effectively let them retire with a lump sum of cash, live the rest of their life living in the old family home um, without having to pay any rent or anything like that. It is a lovely idea, um, very generous too. And who would not want to look after their parents? Uh, you know, it's a kind of thank you for all of the years that they've looked after you and all the sacrifices that they've made. And so in today's episode, let's explore exactly that. Let's look at turning the tables with your parents, buying your parents' home and allowing them to retire. What's up guys, welcome back to another episode. And before I get into today's episode, I have a quick movie recommendation. And I posted about it today on LinkedIn. And so it's all fresh in my mind. I watched this last night and I really, really enjoyed it, I have to say. And the movie is called Nyad and it's on Netflix at the moment. And I just found it insanely motivating as a movie. And it's based on a true story. And it covers the, uh, the life of a lady in the US called Diane Nyad. And Diane is, uh, or certainly she was, a marathon swimmer, a long distance swimmer. And she, at the, you know, in her 20s, she was in her prime uh, for all of this stuff. And she basically set a load of world records and long distance uh, you know, sort of she set a load of world records back in 90, in the 1970s. She swam around the island of Manhattan, which is, I think, 28 miles. And she did various long distance sort of swims like that. And she was the first person to do them. So naturally, she got the uh, the world record at the time. Now, she did retire at that stage. She retired. I think her last big swim was in the 19, the late 70s. And she retired from swimming. And then 30 years later, this is what is incredible about this story. She just hit the age of 60. It was her 60th birthday. And she decided, you know what? I want to go back to swimming again. And not just to go back to swimming, but to actually go back to competitive marathon swimming. And so she had this goal in mind that had eluded her, her final big challenge back in the 1970s was an attempt to swim from Cuba, the island of Cuba, to the coast of Florida, which is 102 miles uh, or 164 kilometers. And like, if you consider long distance swimming that, you know, that you'll often hear about, you'll hear about people that have swam the English Channel. And the distance to swim the English Channel is 21 miles. This distance is five times that, and it is an insane challenge. I mean, this lady, in order to complete this, she was gonna to have to swim 
solidly for two full days, two full nights. And then the, the, the day of the third day was when she would hope to finally reach her destination. And during this continuous swim, there was going to be shark infested waters. There was going to be deadly box jellyfish to try to avoid. And this particular part of the Caribbean is very, very strong currents. There's a lot of high winds that come in and all this kind of stuff. So there's a lot of challenges there. And in 1970, in the 1978 attempt, when she was actually at her all time prime in terms of setting records, she failed to achieve it. And so why not try it again in her, you know, in her 60s? It just absolutely blows my mind to think that people think about this and actually not just think it, but actually go ahead and, and attempt it. So she started training and she made her first attempt and it failed. Uh, she had swam for like something like 20 hours or whatever. And then she, she had to kind of finish the. Then she went and trained more. She went back and had a second attempt. And on the second attempt, she gets stung in the face by a box jellyfish. Now, anyone who knows about the box jellyfish, the stingers on these things basically stop your heart and they are um, they are deadly, like they, they kill people. And she actually got stung by a box jellyfish during the swim. She attempted to keep going, but she ended up being, I, I don't want to ruin the movie, but she ended up basically, that was her second attempt. Her third attempt, and this was actually, having already tried it in the 1970s, she tried once more in, in her 60s, twice more, three times more, four times more she went out and she, um, she went out and the weather turned on them very badly. And so it was the fifth attempt. Like how many people would attempt to complete a swim of 100 miles and, you know, fail four times and continue to think that this is actually possible. And so on her fifth attempt, she completed the full distance. She swam continuously for 53 hours, never getting out of the water once never getting any assistance like she had a support team alongside her on a boat but she never got touched by anybody for the entire 53 hours and um, if anyone needs a kick in the ass motivation this is the movie for you it's i mean there were so many things that i just took from it like the first thing being age is just a number like forget about saying oh i'm too old to do that or any of this kind of stuff this lady proved that second of all just this whole resilience that i talk about and perseverance anything that you have failed to do is really just down to i'm going to try again i'm going to go again i'm going to go again and you just keep on persevering until you attempt it and you finish it and um, on that whole topic i thought i would mention and I think I mentioned it last time, I am kicking off a new um, accountability group in December. And so only about two weeks away now until this thing launches and it's going to run for four months. Uh, the idea is to help you set and achieve major, major goals, like major challenges. And I love the idea of finishing the month or finishing the year strong. I hate this idea of, oh, I'll start next month or I'll start in January. Like, screw all that. 
you, you need to start right away. We need to go again. And that is, this movie certainly motivated me. Um, why wait until January to set big goals? Start now, start on the 1st of December. And so that is what I'm doing. I'm kicking off that. It's going to be, um, you know, if you've been listening for a while, you know I love this kind of stuff. This is, I love fitness goals. I love challenging financial goals. I love the property goals, you know, uh, all of that kind of stuff. Whatever goal it is that you'd like to achieve, whether it's, you know, start a podcast, write a book, whatever it might be, it is possible to achieve it in three to four months. It's really just a matter of putting your mind to it. And the idea behind this group is to work closely with me for the next four months. And I'm to, I too will be setting my own goals and I will be expecting you guys to hold me accountable while I'm holding you accountable. And so I'm going to put a link in the description below if you're interested, just if you want to sign up for that, if you want to sign up even just to be aware of it, I'm going to be going out and uh, inviting people to join. And there's going to be the usual kind of early bird discount for people who want to do that. Okay, guys, on to the main event. Let's talk about buying your parents' home. And I'm sure this is a question that many of you, it will have crossed the mind of many of you, I'm sure, of, um, or perhaps it's an ambition that you have for some point in the future. The idea just being simply, I want to be able to take care of mom or dad. Um, you know, I want to ease their worries. I'd like them to be able to ease back a bit. They're getting on now in age. Uh, they shouldn't have to worry about paying rent. They shouldn't have to worry about mortgages. They shouldn't have to worry about trying to earn a few quid. And um, it's certainly a nice thought. So I thought, let's explore that today. And the reason this came up was one of the guys in my mastermind posted the question today and he was posting it on behalf of uh, somebody else. But he was saying that this person is looking to buy their parents' home. Um, the parents' home is mortgage free. It's got a um, it, it. So it's been there for, you know, for a couple of years. The, the idea is to buy this house and let them live in it rent free for the rest of their life. But what the person wants to do is to take out a mortgage on the property and to pay, you know, to take on the responsibility for making the mortgage payments. But in return, the parents can live in the house rent free for the rest of their life. And the benefit of doing this is that they buy the property from the parents at a kind of below market discount. And so the parents will be getting a nice lump sum, but it won't be the value of the entire house. So you're getting it cheap. Now, the couple... The, the person who wants to do this, they are a couple and they both are on good salaries. So they kind of feel they can easily afford these uh, payments and they're confident that they can kind of hold on to their jobs long term. So what 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 is there to think about here? And so I kind of thought, OK, let's outline the few things that we need to talk about here. First of all, borrowing from the bank when you already have a mortgage and when you're not bringing in any income from the property. That's going to be something that we need to think about. Um, the possibility of tax issues with the structure that you're talking about. We need to consider that. And we also need to consider potential unforeseeable future risks. And this can be difficult because, you know, unforeseeable by its very nature is something that you can't really expect. And so um, it's really just opening up your mind to the possibility of some problem in the future. And are you prepared, even if it is unlikely to happen? And then we also want to look at the, the long term outcome of the of the idea of the transaction. And so we're going to get into each of those, you know, a little bit now. And 
starting with the borrowing from the bank, like the ideal situation here would be that you do this with surplus, surplus cash. If you're in the property game, you've bought and sold a couple of properties, you might be sitting on a, you know, a, lo a whole load of cash. And it could be that you don't need to go and borrow money from the bank at all. You can just simply hand over money, buy the property from your parents, pay off the mortgage if they have one or whatever. And that's it. You've done a good deed. You're looking after them. They can live in the house rent free. Yes, you haven't you're not making money on your cash, but it's effectively the same thing as taking out a mortgage and paying uh, a monthly mortgage. Um, I know somebody who's actually done this and they did it with spare cash and it's a very gracious thing to do. And you can imagine, that, you know, how a parent feels when one of their children have taken this kind of financial burden off their hands. So it's a nice, it's a lovely thing to do. I think a lot of us would, you know, if we could, we would like to do it. But what about borrowing from the bank to do this? Um, that is a slightly different situation. Like you are not, you're not, you don't have this, you don't have cash lying around to buy out the parents' house. And so you are having to go and borrow. And if you already have a mortgage and a home, which this couple do, it does create a bit of a red flag in terms of the bank. The bank are going to look at this and they're going to think about it. Mm, there's an element of uncertainty here. Um, you've, got, uh, you've got a home with a mortgage on it and you're making payments on that. And you know we're comfortable with that level of risk. But now you're going to have a second property that's not going to have a rental income coming in and you're going to have an additional mortgage payment to make every month. And so you're going to have more debt. You're going to have you will have an asset to back it, obviously, but you will have no additional income to support that debt. And so this is in a sense, this is like going out, buying a much, much bigger house and still and having to pay much more you know, in, interest payments on it. Um, but it, it is the kind of thing that the banks are going to look at with a kind of a, you know, a, a bit of a risk averse nature to it. And uh, there's a couple of things that you need to be able to answer. If the bank asks any of these questions, this is what you need to be, you need to be thinking about. First of all, what is your debt to income ratio? So let's say you earn 5,000 a month and your mortgage is 2000 a month well that gives you 3000 a month to live on and let's say you and your wife or husband are also earning a, an income so maybe the two of you are earning 5000 each 10000 a month so 10000 a month and 2000 a month going on your joint family home mortgage you've got plenty left over you got 8000 a year that's a pretty good uh, debt to income ratio we'll say I think the banks would be quite comfortable with that level. Um, you've obviously also got the rules that are apply. So if you're earning, um, you know, whatever you're earning, you're entitled to, I think, 4x your income in terms of an amount, a total amount of, of, uh, of mortgage. So when you add all of this stuff up, you can come up with a figure and you can sort of see, okay, between the two of us, what we're paying, um, what we're paid as a salary, four times that, that is what you'd be able to take out as a mortgage. And does your home mortgage and your parents' home mortgage fit within that number? That's the first question. The second question is one that is not as easy to answer because it's not a, there isn't a fact here. It's really down to how robust is your income? Is your future income? I mean, if you have got a, 
we'll say, a pensionable job in the government, like civil service or something like that. Well, obviously, that gives you an element of certainty about your your likely uh, your likelihood of re- retaining your job, we'll say. But if you work in a company that is, we'll say, in the tech sector or something like that, like they've laid off a lot of people in the last few years. So your income may not be as guaranteed as you might like to think it is. You may get a very good income, but like all it takes is for some company in another country where the headquarters is to suddenly go, you know what, let's close that division down or let's do this. And and so it can be difficult. Like the whole idea of having an income uh, is that somebody else's decision is whether or not they continue to pay you. So there is obviously a risk there. The other thing is how robust is your partner's income? Whatever about your income, it's your partner's income that also supports this. And so what, you know, what do they do? What do they work at? Um, assuming they're working, how robust and reliable is that income? And the other thing that you need to think about is your age profile and your repayment term that you're thinking about. A lot of people, uh, you know, you get to a certain age and you go and think to yourself, okay, we'll go and take out a mortgage. A 25 year mortgage at the age of 50 is pretty much impossible to get because you'd be making payments up to the age of 75. And a lot of people are already retired by 75. So that is something that is likely to be pushed back by the bank. And so you need to think about what is the repayment term that you're thinking about? How long are you looking to repay? And obviously, if you squeeze this into a short term, like five years, it's going to be an expensive, you know, you're going to have five, 60 payments to repay the entire loan. Whereas if you spread that over, say, 10 years, then you're into 120 payments. If you spread it to 20 years, you're into 240 payments. It makes it obviously smaller each month. And, um, and that's going to be obviously part of it. But your age profile is also going to come into the mix or the age profile of your partner. Now, leaving aside the bank issues, I would suggest go out and talk to a couple of banks and see what their appetite is for this kind of thing. And um, you'll soon enough find out. And the other thing is, is maybe to speak to a broker, like a mortgage broker. They are speaking to lots of different banks at all times. So they'll have a better feel for which banks are accommodative to that, that kind of thing. And I'm sure it's not the first time anyone has ever brought it to their, you know, come in and ask. So they probably already have some sort of a structure for that in mind. Next thing you have to think about, uh, this is number two, is the potential tax issues. Now, what kind of tax issues? First of all, you're, it was mentioned that they were going to be buying the parents' house from them at a below market price. And that makes a lot of sense. Like there's no point in you paying top dollar over to your parents if you're going to let them live in rent free. And so you may as well get some advantage there. The only thing is, is that is going to trigger a couple of potential tax issues. Now, most people can earn, uh, well, can receive an inheritance gift from their parents of up to 400 grand. And so if you are buying a property from a parent and let's say the property on the market is worth 300 and the parent says you can buy it from me for 150. Well, that is effectively like getting a gift of 150,000 from your parent. 
and um, the fact that they have sold this at a below market cost is effectively a gift and it is not it's not going to be taxable per se because it's below the threshold of 400 but if you've already received inheritance then this will add to that and so the sum could go over 400 or in addition to that you will find that at some point in the future if after your parents pass or whatever and they leave something else some other assets it could be that those assets combined with the 150 that you bought that you got the benefit of a few years earlier that adds up and you end up having to pay tax on the inheritance gift and tax on inheritance for you know over the 400 amount is 35 percent or at least it was the last time i checked now the other thing that you need to think about is if you're buying a property at say 150 and it's worth 300 that actually means that the revenue commissioners are going to receive stamp duty on a substantially lower you know price than they would have and so there is a risk of them actually coming back after you and saying hold on a second you didn't pay the proper stamp duty you're supposed to pay us one you know whatever it is one percent of the market value not one percent of the transaction value and so you need to think about that but the other thing to think about is future capital gains like the the idea that you go and you buy your house from your parents for 150,000 when it's worth 300 that's fantastic that you've got it at that nice discount but if you were to turn around a few years later and sell it for 300,000 you are going to have to pay 35% tax on the uplift in value it's gone from 150 to 300 and that is assuming no additional market increases but that's going to be that 150 is going to be money that you, you have to pay 35% tax on that on that uplift and so these are all little things just to kind of put there on the sheet of paper when you're laying up the, the pros and the cons finally let's consider potential risks the most obvious being interest rates and like at the moment we've got high inflation although it is coming down and uh, there is always a risk though that this won't necessarily be knocked on the head and so further rates are possible you've got the european central bank the ecb that sets the rates in ireland the bank of england sets the rates in england the u.s federal reserve sets the rates in the u.s forecasts differ different people make there is currently um, a prediction that the u.s rates are going to start falling and so we um, i saw that goldman sachs and i think it's morgan stanley are both predicting uh, reduction but they're predicting different amounts i think goldman sachs is expecting a three uh, 300 basis points and morgan stanley is expecting 175 something like that so there is an expectation that it'll come down but it's not yet known and so obviously you just don't know but the eu and the bank of england like we're in a different part of the world and our inflation is not moving at the same speed as the us so it's a bit early to predict any kind of reduction in the interest rates and so probably a good idea would be to do what's known as a sensitivity analysis and that would be where you calculate your mortgage and you assume okay let's assume it goes up by one percent more let's assume it goes up by two percent more what at what point would it start to become difficult for you to actually fund this mortgage you really just want to make sure that you understand 
what level would get you into trouble so that at least you know and you're comfortable with the level that you're at. The banks themselves will be stress testing this anyway. And so you may as well go in there with your eyes wide open. All right, let's get into the next risk. And the next risk is down to how secure is your income? And this is a couple both earning good salaries. And so they're confident they can easily afford the payments. Um, the only thing I would say, and this is really just your own gut check. You've got to do this to yourself um, in order to make sure that you're thinking fully this whole thing through. Um, how confident are you that you'll always have a job? Like what is the guarantee? What kind of guarantee do you have that you're always going to have a job? Um, like circumstances today can differ from circumstances in the future. And like I said earlier, you just don't know what companies, um, you know, it's like a crystal ball. Who's going to perform well? Who's not going to perform well? And I know from the business park that I'm involved in that companies go through lots of swings. And like there's one company that I know. And during the pandemic, they were adding staff, 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 like they were hiring all the time. I think they added maybe 60 staff throughout COVID. And so they were doing really, really well. And then more recently, they have been acquired by another company. And suddenly they're doing job cuts. And so all these people that were, you know, feeling very positive and optimistic about having a secure job and being hired by a company that's growing all the time, suddenly job cuts are on the table. And so it's really difficult, you know, a merger, you just don't know what the future holds. And so you have to consider like, what if you or your partner were to lose their job? You know, as unlikely as it might be, what would what would that do to your ability to meet the payments? Because I can tell you there's nothing worse than the sense of scarcity that exists when you're un unable to afford to pay things. And um, like I've been in that situation where you can't make payments and you can't meet your obligations and things like that. And the pressure starts to build. It is a pretty horrendous feeling to be in. You don't want to be in that position. Um, and so make sure you're confident that that is not a likely. Now, there's also the unforeseeable risks and the unforeseeable risks by their very nature are things that you just you don't know whether it could ever possibly happen. Um, unlikely as it might seem, but have a look at, for example, your, you know, what if you or your partner were to get sick? Um, it's not a very nice, not a very pleasant thought to have, but. One of my, my cousin recently, her husband got sick and died in the last couple of weeks. And he was a very successful businessman and they had a very nice life. And in July, he went into hospital with a bit of a complaint. And a couple of months later, he has died from cancer. And not much of a warning, like literally six or eight weeks between going to the get diagnosed and you're gone and so suddenly your life your life has turned upside down um income obviously the potential to earn has been eliminated and you know obviously there may be life insurance plans and all that kind of stuff but that is something that individuals will have maybe you know in place but not everybody so have a think about you know just that unlikely scenario of what if something was to happen. 
I'm not not even if you don't even if you if somebody doesn't you know get sick and die but if they just were to to get sick to the point where they can't work anymore you've you've seen people getting injured in work and suddenly they can't do their job anymore i've heard of people that they get um these uh what is it called m m e or something like that uh and next minute they have no energy at all or wheels disease and you're out you've got zero energy for about a year or something like that so this is all something that unlikely as it is you have to contemplate what if something like that were to happen do you have protections in place do you have income protection insurance do you have life insurance all of these things will obviously make it a little bit easier for you to predict what could happen and then there's also the scenario that most couples would hate to imagine but what if you and your partner were to split up um you know nobody likes to consider that but people do split up and i know from you know splitting up with my first wife that you get married and you're in love and you're happy and then there's a point where suddenly you're not happy and that is where like and you don't imagine when you're getting married that that is possibly a case that will happen at some point in the future and it may not be your decision it may be your partner's decision to leave and so there's a lot of this that you just obviously you don't know what the the future holds and so you really just have to make sure that you're thinking to yourself okay in the unlikely event that happening we would now we would have to sell the home that we're in we'd have to actually split the proceeds or something like that and we would have to have two homes and in addition to that somebody's going to be continuing to make payments on the parents home and so would you be able to afford all of that um who would be responsible for the extra parents extra payments on the home on the on the parents home i mean if you and your partner were to split uh is the partner going to want to continue funding your part your parents payments uh, you know it depends on the circumstances of this of the split but sometimes splits can be quite acrimonious and so you're not looking at a friendly split you're looking at a situation that people could be you know quite unhappy with one another and so you're not going to get much support anyway all very remote all very unlikely but not a you know not a non zero this is a non zero sum risk like there is a very very slim possibility of it so like you know in the same way we get, we get onto a into a car we don't expect to have a crash we get into an airplane we don't expect to have a crash but these things do take place and so you cannot guarantee anything and so it's worthwhile just kind of thinking about okay if that were to happen i actually can still cover it or it would be a little bit tight and i better go and make sure that i have insurance in place for this possibility or whatever it might be so look consider just protection uh, i have life insurance in place and all that kind of stuff and that's the kind of thing you need to think about now the purpose of this talk is not to catastrophize and to you know drum up all of this negative thought it's really just to highlight that when you're getting into you know taking on debt when you're buying into property when you're doing any kind of a deal you really do have to consider risk and you have to consider unforeseeable risk because that's the kind of stuff that comes along you're able to say oh yeah it's perfect location it's great it's this that and the other 
and then something can happen that you were not prepared for. And so it's really just being conscious of the fact that risk exists and you don't want to be in a situation where you've done something for your parents and it's done with love and you know you, with, with the best of intentions. And then at some future point, you're there and you're thinking, oh, why did I do this? I'm actually in deep shit now, financially or whatever. And, um, and, and this kind of thing can happen and it can put strain then on relationships because all of a sudden, you know, you might, it could be that the, the mortgage on the parents' house is now at risk or at jeopardy. And suddenly the parents' house, the rent-free that they've been enjoying for the last number of years is suddenly going to become a situation where they have to support the mortgage or something like that. So you have to think these things through. Just make sure that you haven't run into it um, completely with a, with a kind of a closed mind around the potential for negative events to take place. I've seen the tension that money in families can create and it's not pretty. So I'm just saying, be aware of the risks, think this thing through carefully before you proceed. And what I would like you guys to do right now is like, have you actually considered this before? Have you considered buying your parents' home? Uh, is this something that you would like to do? Is this something that you've ever done? Um, let me know in the comments below. Um, also, let me know, have I left anything out? Do you think that I've forgotten to mention anything? Um, you can leave a, a, a comment below and let me know. And if you'd like to understand how to analyze all of the risks and things like that, consider signing up for one of my programs or courses because I actually, we're in November and I'm going to be doing some very special Black Friday offers. And I sound like a real salesperson doing, saying that, but this is something that um, I've been working on. So have a look at some of the stuff. My friends, until next time, remember patience and discipline is key. Stay grounded and I'll catch you in the next one. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Behind the Facade. If you have any questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes, please connect with me via the Facebook group that is called Behind the Facade Community. Alternatively, you will find me on social media. My handle is Gavin J. Gallagher. You can stay up to date with all of my content and the various projects I'm working on over on my website, GavinJGallagher.com. And while you're there, please do add your name to the join my tribe thing over on the right hand side. This will ensure you're kept up to date via my weekly newsletter. All of these links are in the show notes below. That's all for now. I will see you guys in the next episode.